What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 174. Somehow, I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the, should we, should we say this, uh, he is cinema's Captain Ahab, hunting his white whale. Ah! It's a Travis Croft. How are you, sir? Well, aren't we all? Aren't we all? I am fine and dandy. Aren't we all hunting that white whale? It's, um, it, it eludes us still. Um, it's and that's actually. I, I don't know, but it's just the phrase "the white whale" just sounds like, like, like second cousin to chasing the dragon, uh, something like that. You know, it's like mm, I'm surprised it hasn't been co-opted by the drug community or something. It did re- come to my um, mind recently um, that uh, I've never actually read um, Moby Dick. Yeah. Captain Ahab and White Whale. It's searching a using allegories for in so many different films. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of the, 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 the trademark of being urbane and cultured and having read widely and be well read. But mm. no, never read it. Have you? Yes, when I was in school, long time ago. I don't fully remember it all. I do remember it being very long, and some interesting elements but at the same time also okay yep it's it seems that i remind i remember it being in a similar kind of vein to when i had to read the iliad and the odyssey the iliad just has one whole chapter that is literally a list of all of the names of the ships that set sail to troy it's literally just a ship manifest basically I'm like, oh, that that's just no fun for anyone. Hard work, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. But it's amazing some of those those classics that you do just slip by. Like, I don't think I've ever actually read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Uh I have not either. Um, mm. so you know, we're all very naughty. We're uncultured um, swines. There's, yeah, there's there's no really, no other way of uh, plucking that turkey. Cinematic <laughs> version of not having seen Citizen Kane or something like that. Yeah, or Star Wars, or never having seen a Marvel movie. Mm. That's probably the hard one for people to swallow. Like if you meet, if you so like like my grandparents, if they were to kind of go to my nieces and nephews and say, oh, I've never seen a Marvel movie. That would blow their mind. Well, we get to that point now where it's seen so ubiquitous mm. that um, there's been what going for about 15 years. So like it's, it's, yeah. it's basically dominated yeah. for 15 years. So yeah. you really have to have been working hard to, to not, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, to, to have not seen one. Yeah, to, to not have just even a touchstone for that. Okay, thought it was kind of cool when Robert Downey Jr. first uh, came came along as Iron Man, but you know. <laughs> anyway, we are not talking about Marvel movies this week, ladies and gentlemen. We are going, we are going deep with drama and melodrama, and then cultural awkward comedy <laughs> so we have got our chain movie of the week which i picked last week following on carrie mulligan from promising young woman of last week to never let me go which is seems to be possibly the final feature film of director mark romanic who hasn't made uh, many apparently he's working on something else 
Apparently he's going oh, to be oh, drinking that's right. again. Yes, I hope so because one hour photo was fantastic, and he has got a very good, uncomfortable way of filming. But we'll get to that properly in a minute when we talk about Never Let Me Go. But Travis and I, we dared the gods, ladies and gentlemen. We met up in person. So far, touch wood, nothing bad has happened. So far. But, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> you want to be smited? Here's a cooking something up. Um, we went to go and see Brenda Fraser in The Whale at the ever-enjoyable Cinema Nova on Ligon Street. And we also took in the Netflix movie Jonah Hill Eddie Murphy is the two main big stars of the movie, You People. And finishing up the show, we have got another mini episode of do, 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 Binge Brows Burn. It is its own song now. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, it's a work in progress. It's a work in really progress. There'll, there'll be sort of like words that come across the screen and stuff like ah, that eventually. That'd be nice. Uh, that would take a lot of I have no idea how to do that. That's um, too much technical prowess for us. Exactly. People like us because we're raw. I actually have to edit videos for my job, and I, and I have been using video proper video editing software to do it as semi-professional. I've got no fucking clue what I'm doing, but there are so many YouTube, fortunately very YouTube videos that sort of go, this is how you do this thing. And it's like, it's so simple. And you're like, mm-hmm. is it though? Mm-hmm. I, so what university did you go to? University of YouTube. Well, I mean, it was this kind of thing. You probably could get away with it, really. I mean, like, yeah. it's it's free software. And the actual provider of a software, it's called DaVinci Resolve, have, like, 40-minute tutorials on each segment of the thing it does. And you're like, it's it, – it's, I don't know what it would work for me as a, as a tool to actually become entirely proficient in it. But hmm. it's it's enough to start with. Sometimes so that's, that's it. That's that's it, kids. Quit school. Search all the things you all that you need to know is on the YouTube's. There is no misinformation on there. You know, <laughs> your <laughs> professional education is a waste of money. Um, they're just liberal elites, you know, yada yada yada. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that is our mes- message of our final episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> our message of hope to the world. <laughs> Um, should we, speaking of hope, should we just start with, uh, never let me go? Yes. So, so much hope and, uh, and promise and uh, possibility in never let me go. So what, was that uh, as, what, what inspired you to pick this one? Was there a reason? Um, I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, I remember when it came out, I, I don't, I do not remember any of this damn movie straight up none of it um but i remember when it came out it got a lot of critical response and critical uh critical success and people were saying oh it's fantastic it's beautiful it's so sad it's just just empowered me and touched me in such a way and blah 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 and so i thought okay this is an opportunity for me to go back to one that i watched when I think I might have been in acting school still when this came out, maybe. I don't know. Let me have a look. Never let me go. 2010. 2010. Yeah, I was well outside of um, acting school by then. Um, I was, you know, pretty much the broken husk that I am today. Uh, (laughs) And maybe you you the man you were. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. Now I'm just clawing back whatever I can get. 
but yeah, um, I mean, it's. I, I was the same. I remember seeing it when it came out, but I, I, I don't remember. It sort of vaguely remembered what it was about. I remember it being incredibly sad. It was just mm. maybe the feeling that I remember rather than the actual specifics of the story. Mm. Um, for those who've not seen it, the lives of three friends from their early school days into young adulthood when the reality of a the world they live in comes knocking. As you mentioned, directed by Mark Romanek. Um, you mentioned his debut film, uh, One Hour Photo, which I loved. Probably best known for directing some of the best music videos ever made, mm-hmm. um, including uh, Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt, yeah. uh, amongst many other things. He, he's got an incredibly long um, resume of making incredible music videos. The guy uh, Closer by Nine Inch Nails, also mm-hmm. another very famous one. Um, written by uh, Alex Garland, he of uh, of course um, Ex Sunshine, Ex Machina, uh, yeah. the, the, the never produced Halo movie. Yeah, oh, it's a shame. Uh, but was there ever one that recently it came out last year? Men, and there was the yes. one that landed uh, up on um, it was, on uh, Annihilation. Annihilation. He also wrote the book was Beach was based on. So yes, he's very successful. Right. And twenty eight days later, um, Kashua Ishiguro is the author of a book this was based mm. on. And a very decent cast, uh, Kerry Knightley, Kerry Mulligan, Andrew Garfield are our central trio. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, some other reasonably familiar names in here. Sally Hawkins, Academy Award winner, Sally Hawkins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Charlotte, Charlotte Ramsey. Ella Purnell, some of you may recognize her. She stars in Yellow Jackets, which I lost my shit about like, about this time yeah. last year. <laughs> uh, and Donald Gleason. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. Uh, is that how you say it? Donald, Donald? Donald Gleason. Donald Gleeson uh, from yes. uh, Harry Potter fame. Yes. Um, and other things. So this is actually a dystopian film, I think. Uh, yeah, although it, it it alludes to it more than it shows it. Um, and it it's kind of a weird one because it very much set and presents itself as a period piece. Uh, and it very, very does a very good job of capturing what private school and sort of like you know out out of the city schools of England were kind of like like the opening sequence of um sort of like the 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 entrance to the manor house of the school and the grounds it's like yeah I I knew schools like that and the kids in their school uniforms singing the the school song and things like that so like yeah this is very reminiscent and it 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 it's kind of all of that kind of like all right it's the 70s and the 80s and going through that but then they've got like wristbands and they're touching on when they go through corridors and things like that and it, the the technology is slightly skewed and just morphed just enough that it's it, it is it is it sci-fi i i think this is a drama romance sci-fi thriller imdb says and i think one ha- it's an interesting version of sci-fi yeah um in the sense it is set in, in three different time periods 1978 1985 and 1994 so mm. that was all well and truly in the past when this film came mm. out um, that is this set in a universe where there is um, some sort of medical breakthrough in mm. the fit 1950s? That would seem to be, well, it's not a really call out. That would seem to be cloning, mm. where people are cloned uh, and the clones are basically kept around as um, 
basically sources of mm-hmm. transplant organs. They're almost yeah. cattle. Meat sacks. Essentially. Um, and we meet three of these clones, uh, if you'll call and I'm really they're actually referred to as clones. Um, but that's essentially yeah. insinuated what they this is not maybe some parts of it initially this setup might make you think of a film like The Island, mm-hmm. which is a bad, bad, bad movie. Um uh, it's Michael Bay, man. Um and you know, where I think rich people get clones of himself created in that and like yeah. Yeah. So, which is actually interesting. Like, that would actually make a little bit more sense in a way because, like, a clone of you would be more likely to provide an organ that is it's suitable compatible. for you that yeah. you're not likely to reject. But, like, that does not seem to be the world we're living in here, where no. it's insinuated that criminals and, you know, destitute people are the ones who are cloned yeah. to create the, the cattle. Uh, yeah. They are sent to a special school. Um, and it's not, it, it doesn't seem to be just one. We, we focus on one, but it seems like there are many of these almost hubs and farms, shall we say, which plays into the, the end game a bit more um, throughout England. And you would presume the rest of the world, but that is never, never explained. Uh, this particular school uh, is in St. Hailsham, is the yes. name of a school. Um, and this is insinuated or found out later in the film that this is one of the more enlightened versions uh, of the uh, schools or farms that, that um, take care of and educate these uh, clients. Uh, I, I watched this with Michelle, who made some interesting points that I didn't think about the first time around. Uh, mm. Some of them are answered, some of them aren't. The mm. first one is you might be thinking is why the fuck would they educate them? Mm. Um, and that was a question Michelle asked, and that is actually answered in this film later on. Mm. Uh, there's an insinuation that this was almost Hailsham was almost an experimental school or farm where mm. ethics was actually human ethics were actually employed and these people were these clones were not uh, were treated like people. Mm. Whereas you know there was a, a view, or a, the, the world comes to a view. Like it seems by the end of a film where that is not necessary. Yeah, uh, and I believe that's explored further in the book than it is in mm. the film. Um, but they are treated ethically and humanely at Hailsham almost as a way to prove that, that they're better off if they do. Mm. Um, that that seems to have gone out. An unfashionable experiment because Hailsham, mm. later in the film we find out, is closed. Mm. Uh, and uh, in conditions for any future clones are significantly worse. I like mm. some of the euphemisms they use, Steve-O. Mm. Uh, harvesting of organs from the clones was called donations. Yes. Yeah. The thing about donations is they're usually, um, you know, voluntary. Consensual. <laughs> you know, like, and take shit. I, you know, if I came in and stole George's car and say, thank you for your donation, George. And he'd be like, I don't remember donating that. But, uh, yeah. Um, you, can, you can have it. But. In this case, he might be more than happy. Oh, no, my car's gone. It had my collection of classic Picassos in it and, you know, my Fabergé egg. Oh. Um, How do you know about the Fabergé egg? Um, <laughs> so that, I like that little euphemism. And then mm. basically dying after donating half her organs is um, referred to as completing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's that, that little bit of phraseology in there that they use so cavalierly. And as the story kind of progresses and you see our three and two of them after having these donations 
and you see other people who are in the same program as them, you just kind of realize, oh, that's darker than it sounds. That's, 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 <laughs> Um, the, the question I have, I'll come to it in a minute, so I'll, I'll just continue. Our three key uh, characters here are Ruth, played by Kerry Knightley, Kathy, played by Carrie Mulligan, and Tommy, played by Andrew Garfield. They are yes. all students, cattle, at, at Hailsham, however you want to put it, <laughs> occupants, prisoners, um, and they basically end up forming a love triangle in so much as Tommy is a fairly unfashionable kid who has uh, wild tantrums at school and uh, Kathy is enamored with him from very early on in the story but mm. he ends up spending time a long time with uh, in a relationship with Ruth and mm. we find out later Ruth almost does that almost out of spite because she mm. can um, and this uh, love triangle we follow through those three time periods I'm at school in 1978 then after they finish school and enter society in mm -hmm. 1985, and then um, as they complete in mm -hmm. the mid-90s. Yeah. The real question, I, I, I didn't think of this the first time I saw this, and I don't know why I did. Mm. And, and the film, to its detriment, I think, does not explain this um, uh, sufficiently, mm. is why do, they, why do they just walk into this like lambs of a slaughter? Why are they so docile and accommodating to such a horrible fate? I mean, it yeah. does it is insinuated that this is not news to them. By the time they finished school in the mid-80s, they seem to have come to understand what their purpose in life is. They exist purely to be used as, you know, an organ farm for mm. other people in society. And I don't understand why they would just go along with that without running away. You know, like yeah. if someone told me you're going to, someone's going to come along and harvest all your organs and you'll be dead by the time you're 25, man, I would party like Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd, I just, because uh, it's one of the, one of the more in, interesting scenes is with Sally Fields character. Who's um, Sally Hawkins, Sally Hawkins. Sorry. Yeah. Um, she's the new teacher to Hailsham and after being there for what we presume is a little while, she has, she sit, sits the class down and just explains what it is like, oh, you could, you could be, um, a bus driver. You could be this, you could be that, you could be this, that, that, that. And she says, you will not be any of those things. Your life is already determined. And then after this revelation, which is beautiful and uninterrupted by music or anything like that, it's just a very somber, very simple, almost parent telling a child really hard thing of like, oh, your rabbit is going to die. You're going to have to get used to that. It's that, that level of just I am telling you some bad news that is inescapable and it it felt um it felt honest and truthful the way that it was played out and sally hawkins did a great job with it yeah she's a fantastic actor we just yeah. did not see enough of yeah um, this would have been a roundabout a couple of years before she won her oscar was it for the, uh, the uh, shape of water she won yes she did she so she yeah. did not win she was nominated but she did not yes. win 
for no. Blue Jasmine in the Shape of Water, but um, she was fantastic in the Shape of Water. That was 2018. Yeah. Fuck, it seems it like is. a lot longer than that. Um, yeah. But you're right. So she, she levels with them. Um, mm. You've got to wonder where, how much of that sinks in. Mm. But by the time they finish school, they've seemed to come to accept the truth of what she's told them. Mm. And I, I think it's, I think they are attempting to imply a lot of, imply a lot of it because that is, as we are later revealed by Ruth, Kira Knightley's character, she didn't want to be alone and she heard these rumors of a deferral and um, a, a, essentially a stay of execution. Um, if you could like show genuine love, um, which again is an interesting concept and a quite an inter uh, an unusual element to bring into the story. But but again, in the book, I believe that it's 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 called out that they are bred to be uh, sterile. Mm. There's also a sex scene in this between uh, Ruth and Tommy. Mm. And that caused us while we're watching it to go, can they give birth? We mm. don't know. Again, that is a, that is not mentioned in the film at all. No. And that's probably an important point, really. Like, yeah. if you can't breed, you can't, you know, uh, reproduce. This is, you know, hardwired into majority of people. Mm. That might be something that helps you know, guide people to being happy to basically give up their organs and be cattle mm. and be mistreated um, like the way they are. Um, yeah. But the writer here and the director do not tell us that. No. So I think that's a fatal flaw in this story is once you learn what they exist, why they exist, you're like, it's human nature to rebel. It's human yeah. nature to say, I want to remain alive. Mm. Um they're not, there's no insinuation they're drugged. There's no insinuation that they are brainwashed from an early age. That... There's there's no subtle conversation of, oh, did you hear um, Billy tried to escape or yeah, something no. like that? There's nothing. I think of a film like, I mean, I'm thinking of something like Logan's Run. Have you ever seen Logan's Run? Yeah. Where yeah. they all, who's over 30, gets basically dies. But there's this whole culture and story and myth that's built up around what happens to them and that they'll ascend to a different plane of existence or something. It's almost a, yeah. a parody of religion, but they all just get blown up basically before when they turn 30, I think is if I recall. Yeah, 30, um, 30 is when you become old, man. <laughs> so, or um, there was a film, I, if you're a long-term listener or a viewer, you might remember I talked about a film that I saw at the Melbourne Film Festival last year about, it was a Japanese film where it's, it's set in a fictional future in Japan where elderly people were encouraged to um, euthanize themselves because mm. they were a burden on society. Mm. Um, and it's an incredibly sad film. But the way they, they, play, they played that is this incredible advertising campaign and any elderly person who volunteered for the program was given you know, a significant amount of funds that they were allowed to do for whatever the fuck they wanted with in the months leading up to them actually passing away. So there was an, there's actually a governmental incentive for these people yeah. to to take the the, net, the horrible option of, you know, um, of euthanizing yeah. himself. So I'm thinking of films like this where they actually explained, why mm. the fuck would somebody do this? Why the mm. fuck would these people just sit back and go, oh, oh well, you know, 
Yeah. I'm going to get treated like shit, and then someone's going to come along and take my organs, and I'll be dead by 25. But I'm okay with that. Yeah. And even to the point where, like, the the middle point where we meet uh, Donald Gleason and his partner, who they're looking to submit for for authentication of their love and all that stuff. They are kind of told, "Oh no, that's a that's a rumor. We." We don't know anything about it. We hear them having an argument in the house, in the farmhouse, but then nothing. It's like, okay, you're not going to go on the run. Yet, what happens if someone goes on the run? Is 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 are they hunted down because they've got these wrist strap things that they're still using to this day? What's going on? Um, and then even as as a tangent off of that. This is the first time that they get introduced to to the real world and they go into town because they think they might have found Ruth's alternate or the, the, the one that modeled on. Every street that we are shown in this movie is empty. There are not many people in this world. And it's like, okay, what happened? You're you're implying something about society where this dystopia as you said at the beginning what what what, what what's going on here i mean and... this dystopia is a dystopia where the average age is now 100 because of this fantastic cloning technology allows people to live for so much longer yeah um it doesn't seem like a very happy or upbeat world no it's really not and you know it's i couldn't help but keep on finding myself thinking of children of men watching i had the same feeling it really did evoke a film like that yeah yeah Um, not because of kind of similar ideologies or anything but the core concept and conceit of children of men and how we are introduced more and more and more to this dying world and it's almost um it, it every element of that movie is to inform the story and push the the characters along this one it's like okay here's an interesting concept that we're not going to fully explain and we're not really going to give any energy behind either this is a slow plodding story um i would say if anyways this world should be the opposite of the children of men yeah children of men is a world without hope yeah, you know, there are no children. What is the future? Do we have a future? The human yeah. race is slowly dying, and that sort of the, that sort of explains the the cynicism and lack of hope that sort of pervades that world, mm. and that people, you know, uh, the anger and the death and the violence that is is inspired by that decay. This is a world that is not in decay. The average age of people is a hundred years. So we are now. We will tell you that. People are regularly probably living to what, you know, 130, 140-ish kind of thing. And you know, yeah. Surely that's I mean, a good th- thing, right? You know, apparently if you're not a clone, it should be a pretty fucking good life. Well, that the that was the other thing. Just the the color palette and the design of this movie and the presentation of it all, it felt like kind of Thatcher era UK, where mm. everything was damn bleak and hopeless. But sort of like, oh, we'll keep calm and carry on and all of that shit. But it it didn't feel justified or warranted because of what we were being presented here. It's like I, I I don't I don't understand it. 
I think the part of a story that the writer and director are, interest, are most interested in mm. uh, is the love triangle and the characters and not the world. And they are beautifully acted. I think the performances throughout the film, especially amongst the, the free leads, are, are excellent. Mm -hmm. um, but they've left, they've got these great performances and interesting characters and an interesting little story building mm. in a world which you're like, this is interesting. But, oh, we're not going to show you any of that. We're just going to focus in on this tiny little story mm. in a bigger world and not answer any of your questions about yeah about this. Um. And yeah. that leads to that that little story about love triangle kind of runs out of puff pretty quickly. Very quickly for me. Um, and we'll let's let's zoom in on that um, because I watched it with Crystal, and we both kind of came away with it and just like they're all cowards. Like, and I, neither of us believed that Tommy actually loved either of the girls because he was he wasn't being forced to stay with Ruth if he genuinely loved um Cappy there was no reason why he wouldn't just say something and, and go with it and she uh, Kathy was a um a coward because she never did anything either and, and so sorry the thing you do is you've got fucking 20 years like 20 25 years are you going to fuck around and waste 5 years with someone you're like eh, they're good in yeah. bed but I don't like them very much you know, like, I mean, yeah. you've got fucking limited, even if we're got, we've got limited time, but like, they've got really limited time. You are going to try and yeah. cram everything in as possible. But it didn't make a lot of sense to me either that like all of a sudden one day recently go, oh, actually, you know what? You're welcome to you. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Kind of deathbed revelation, very cliched, very overused. And yeah, probably true to a certain degree like people will do whatever they can to try and find peace and comfort at the end if they know that they're going to die but at the same time it's still a it's not her being nice or anything like that it's her trying to her being selfish and trying to get peace for herself because it's like all right we've re-caught up with these guys tommy is um not not too far behind where ruth is on stages towards completion and it's like okay what, what kind of fucking life have you got you, you you're banking on this rumor of of love when we you have not that, shown so anything about value of love in this movie for the two of them um ruth and tommy end up uh, having two or three uh, donations Whereas mm. Carrie Mulligan's character, um, Kathy, becomes, a uh, becomes a carer. It's very vaguely described exactly what they are. They guess they yeah. basically guide clones, for want of a better term, through the donation process. Mm. And that allows her a stay of execution, basically, because even as a carer, she doesn't have to start donating until later in life. Mm. But it's kind of weird, right? Like, yeah, like, apparently she's very good at it. And like, you know, I mean, how do you um, judge that anyway? Um, but like, it's it's a bit. So she hasn't started donating yet, so she's in pretty good mm, shape. Mm. But Tommy and Ruth are pretty close, as you sort of said, well on the path to completion. Ruth more so than Tommy. When mm. yeah, they all reconnect, and and Ruth sort of basically, you know, tries to play uh, matchmaker and put them together finally. It, and mm. so they spend some time together as lovers before the end of their lives. Mm. Um, 
But as you say, it's very late in the game. And like, if that was something he always wanted, it seems so strange that he's left it to this point in time. Yeah. Uh, where, and if Kathy, as a carer, you might imagine would have had the ability to, you know, track him down or whatever. But that, but, that's the other thing that is kind of thrown in as a grenade at the end is sort of like, um, Ruth has, she knows how to find the old head, uh, the old madame who came to Hailsham and assess their art and things like that. So like, how the hell did she, how, what is this connection that she has? Why has she been, how has she been able to keep in contact with Kathy uh, or keep tabs on Kathy and keep tabs on Tommy all this time? That sounds like an interesting story. What did she go off and do after the farm that got her these connections? And we just not shown or told any of that. It's like, oh, okay. I think what we're getting at here is this is a fascinating concept. Mm. Um, poorly executed, unfortunately, in a yeah. lot of ways. I think yeah. the script they have is well written enough in the sense it's 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 an interesting story, but mm-hmm. it just seems to have too many holes in it for me. And once mm-hmm. someone, once you, so, I don't know why I didn't think of it the first time I saw it, but I'm like, once Michelle said to me, well, as, as she was wont to say, why, where's their revolution? You know, mm. why are they just sitting back like fucking lambs going, oh, okay. Like, yeah. Once you sort of go, oh, that's a very good question. Why the fuck aren't they rebelling? Why aren't they, why aren't they like the fishies in um, Children of Men fucking bombing the shit out of uh, yeah. hospitals and, you know, uh, you know, places where they're, donations are going to be delivered to the rich people or the normal people, the real people. And considering that, you know, at the end we're told that Hailsham was the outlier of what it was trying to do of letting them live a more normal life and things. So, like, if they wanted to do that, if they wanted, if they were more experimental like that, they would have encouraged a little bit more rebellion. And, yes, I understand that at the beginning of the movie, so, like, the headmistress comes out with cigarette butts and says oh your health is our priority which makes sense when you when you, it's revealed that they are nothing but walking body parts but at the same time so like you you want them to they they actively try and encourage kids to pair off a little bit for, for boys and girls i would have been interested to see what they would have done if there was a gay connection there what how would that have how would they have dealt with that? Would they, would they encourage that? Or someone is suddenly, why Why were they, um, why did they seem to just let Tommy have these outbursts in school and just treat it as it was, as if it was nothing? But then other things, it's like, hmm, seems, seems like you're, it's a little messy. Um, there are some parts that the filmmakers did do well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the scene where, uh, roof completes and gives her final donation is suitably horrifying mm-hmm. and i do not mean in a gory way necessarily no. just in the complete and utter contempt that the doctors yeah. and the surgeons seem to treat her when she passes away they're basically more interested in, i think it's her lungs that they're pulling out put making mm-hmm. sure that they're cool and they don't even just leave her sitting on a slab yeah. bleeding yeah. Um, and at the the, content, the lack of care in that scene, the you know the blase attitude towards her dying is mm. really horrific. Yeah. Um, 
And I, so, uh, but there were a couple of moments like that. You're like, yes, now that's what I was, this is what I want from a film like this. Mm. You know, like if this is, you know, this is the kind of, this is horror really almost this so mm. without gore or monsters yeah. or anything like that. This is the, the, the humans of a real monsters moments that I really live mm. for. And they're a bit too few and far between for me. And um, I guess come back to, again, that really interesting idea at the start is horrific. And I love the idea. I just wish you'd gone a little deeper with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, who would do that? I mean, mean, again, at the end, they insinuate that kids now are being basically treated like battery hands. Mm. Now, if these kids are being raised like that, them not rebelling, sorry to come back to this again, that again would make more sense. Mm. Uh, the kids raise of an, you know, kids, kids raise of care and with an education are the kind of people yeah. who are going to ask questions. Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I kind of, I appreciate the movie, but I don't like it. Like, I don't like the characters. They, they, I do not like them as people. Um, I think they're kind of, just not good people they're not considerate they they're not even considerate of their own self preservation none of them none of the three main ones they're they're all just kind of numb and just doing kind of cavalier almost putting a label on something it's like oh this is what i'm doing um and this is how i survive it's like mm, you're half-assing there, but there's a lot to there's a lot of potential in this movie that is not fulfilled, which is frustrating. No, I, and it's not that it needed a sci-fi world around it. It just needed the world building a little bit stronger. Mm. Um, and maybe that's and that's just a few lines in here and yep. there. Another five minutes could have done that. I just don't know why they decided to leave that out and just go. Well, people will just buy it. Yeah, I, I, just, I didn't. Uh, but I mean, but it was also it was just incredibly depressing. I, really I, think, I, think that, I think that it would have been, I would have really enjoyed it more if instead of um, Ruth being able to connect them to the the madam and the old headmistress, if they had gone to uh, connected to Miss Lucy Sally Hawkins' character, yes, yes, her yes. older, and then kind of saying, hey. Do you know how to do, go for this um, this this de- uh, delay and things like that? And she's like, no, there's no delay. I told you that hoping you would rebel. Why did you not rebel? That or would have been- ultimately, like, there's no exclusions, there's no deferrals, mm. but I can introduce you to someone who can get you out of the country. Yeah. So I, maybe it's a bit cliche. I don't know. World a little bit more, and as uh, yeah. Uh, it was. I, I'm glad to have gone back again. Mm-hmm. I, li- I still like Mark Romanek, and I still wish he made more films. I think he's an interesting filmmaker. Alex yes. Garland's an interesting writer. He mm-hmm. can be a bit impenetrable sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think this is maybe an example of it. Three yeah. great stars at the, t- at the absolute you know peak of their career, or the start of their careers. They were yeah. very lucky to have such a great cast here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, I'm going to. Uh, really take us somewhere ugly next i'm sorry to say you where where are you taking us uh we're going to follow kieran out there were so many options you know andrea riceborough is in this film as well uh-huh. um and we could have gone to one of she's up for an oscar next week we could have gone to, to leslie hmm. um but 
that would have been three pretty fucking depressing films in a row. Yeah, um, yeah. Let, let's let's change that. Don't tell me we're going to atonement. <laughs> no, uh, depressing English films. No, we are going instead to a film I have, believe it or not, never seen, uh, and I believe is quite controversial these days. That film is Love Actually. <sighs> All right then. <laughs> we we have we've had it pretty good the last few weeks. You've had some <laughs> highbrow, highfalutin stuff. Uh, I have never seen Love Actually, and it's been a while since we've done a rom com. Yeah, yep. No, that's that's fair. It is all's all's fair in love and chain movie. You're not a fan, um, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Richard Curtis doing very much Richard Curtis, and I think this was actually one of the the big key movies for introducing the world to Bill Nye as well. Well, you've got a huge selection of choices. Richard Curtis has obviously done a you know a mountain of work over his time. Huge mm-hmm. grunt. Laura Linney, Liam Neeson, Bill Nye, Colin Firth, Emma Thompson, you know, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, uh, Andrew Lincoln, um, yep. Martin Freeman. So yep. you know, it's you're not going to be short of um, options to to take. A, and I think this film has some controversies now about whether or not. The parts that were considered so romantic when it came out 20 years ago are still okay. Yeah. Yeah. Though so I'm actually really kind of curious. What the is going to be. Sorry? <laughs> I think I already know what the connective tissue is going to be. Well, you, yeah, it, it could be, as I said, I, well, you've got a lot of choices there, as, as did I. I could, mm-hmm. Again, I could have gone with something Alex Garland. I could have gone back to the beach or something like that. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I said it was suggested to me. It's been a while since we did a rom-com, so I thought yes. okay, we'll do that. That's fair. That's fair. If for those so, who are curious, in Australia it's available on Netflix, Binge, and Stan. It'll be on plenty your streaming of places to watch it. Wherever it is you are in the world. Take a trip back to the delightful time that once was 2003. <laughs> Just the heady days of a war in Iraq. But anyway, um, while we're talking about depressing things. Yeah, let's go on to... The Oscar darling and like heir apparent to best actor performance, Brendan Fraser. Put, put your money on it. Brendan Fraser In is the winning best, yep. best actor. There's, there's no argument here for me. He's going to win. Uh, and it will probably win best achievement in makeup too, I would guess. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't know, a reclusive, morbidly obese English teacher attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter. Brennan Fraser plays Charlie, the obese English teacher. Uh, Sadie Sink plays his daughter Ellie. Hong Chow plays his friend slash nurse Liz. It is written um, by Samuel D. Hunter, who wrote the play that mm-hmm. this is based on, and he also wrote the screenplay of the film. It is directed yep. by... Darren Aronofsky, the um, cult filmmaker, uh, in the man who makes nothing but rom coms. Exactly, it's it's all <laughs> levity with Darren Aronofsky. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. Whenever we we saw this on Monday night, we walked down to the mm-hmm. car park. I reminded George that last week he said that Promising Young Woman reminded mm-hmm. him of Requiem for a Dream, and I'm like, wow, this film reminded me of Requiem for a Dream. Uh, yeah. He reminded me of a couple of different Aronofsky films, which we probably should because it's his. Work. Uh, it's the first Aronofsky I've seen, though. I think since Black Swan. Oh, I, okay. I have not seen Noah. I did not see Mother. 
It's the first I, film he's directed. I watched both of those ones. I thought Noah was actually a very interesting, unusual um, movie. A mess, but interesting. That's, isn't that just sort of Aronofsky since The Fountain? Like, it's like, it's just... Yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, so we meet Charlie. Charlie is a gay man who teaches English uh, online English courses from his house. He does not put his webcam on, uh, so students can't see how obese he is. Um, mm. He has obviously let himself go since the, the death of his uh, his lover sometime earlier, and mm -hmm. he wasn't always this big and I've always, but he's really almost kind of started to eat himself to death as mm. a way of dealing with this grief at the death of um, his uh, his uh, his lover. Um, he who turns out to be the brother of his friend slash nurse uh liz mm. uh he has disconnected from his daughter ellie uh after leaving his mother her, her mother years since uh to to leaving her to go away with, to live with another man mm. um and uh it's insinuated that that's at his wife's insistence but you know his um his daughter ellie does not seem to make that mm. distinction yeah. Uh, we also have in the story of a character, Thomas, who mm. is a missionary who comes across uh, Charlie at the start of a film while he's in the midst of having a heart attack and saves him from having a heart attack by reading an essay to him. Oh, that's who he is. Ty Simpkins. Yes, he was the uh, annoying kid in Iron Man 3 and the annoying kid in Jurassic World. Ah, he was the annoying kid who turned up at the end of Endgame and everyone was like, Who's that guy? And someone had to yeah. go, oh, it's the kid from Iron Man 3. I remember that guy. And we were like, oh, he's going to be the new Iron Man? Not so nah. much. Um, it's Samantha Morton plays uh, mm -hmm. his ex-wife and Ellie's mother, Mary, in a, a performance that you did not enjoy. No. Um, <laughs> it's a very small cast. Mm. Um, this, as I said earlier, is based on a play, mm -hmm. and it fucking feels like a play. It's oh, incredibly stagey. Like yeah. you're watching, like it's like a filmed play almost. The camera does move a little bit here and there. And we go outside the apartment once or twice, but like it's very play-like. And mm -hmm. I, you know, again, long-time listeners might go, hey, Travis, you say you love it when two characters sit in the car and talk. Mm. Um, one of my favorite films of the last 10 years was Locke starring Tom Hardy, mm -hmm. which is just Tom Hardy driving in a car from, to London from somewhere in North England, talking to people on the phone. And he mm. tells this whole story. I love that. But somehow they managed to make that not feel stagey. This mm. felt like a play. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And um, so much of it, were they, they were trying to tell a lot with the way that they set this. At the beginning, we have this slowly panning in shot of the the you know the the cross-hatched um multi-screens video of mm. everyone in this in this conference call going into the black which is instructor and it su suggests to us that we are going to go into the world of this this person this person where it's nothing but black and darkness and i appreciate that as an introduction and then I don't know if you noticed this or not, but for the beginning of the movie to the end, the size of Charlie's apartment 
gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it throughout, does feel less claustrophobic. I don't. Do you think it actually got bigger? Or it just felt bigger. I think it was intentionally revealed more. But I remember in the scene where um, the the Charlie, his wife, and um, Sadie, uh, the daughter, are all in the room together. They're in very distant distanced uh, separate parts of it charlie is in the in the tv area um i'm gonna get their names right uh ellie is in the kitchen and uh mary is in the like the dining area sitting and it again as you said before it feels like such a staged thing it's like okay you are far backstage right you are far backstage left and charlie you're front and center that's it that's that's what we've got that nice triangle going and it i kind of understand why it was doing that because it's charlie trying to reach out and open up in an emotional way to 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 like reconnect with his daughter but at the same time it feels like it's going the wrong way um and i again i don't i don't know i I've been thinking about this movie a lot and we were talking about it all the way at home and taking Archimedes for a walk and just trying to kind of process it all. And I think as a stage play, this would be far more interesting as a movie. I think it's boring and hyper melodramatic. It was incredibly melodramatic. It's and Oh my God. We in the cinema, we both heard the people in front of us crying and saying that it's just, beautiful and powerful and then the people behind us laughing saying that's the dumbest thing i've ever seen for me it probably the first two-thirds of a film i was on board with it yes um it is an interesting story about a man who's made some bad choices in life or at least choices that have had bad consequences because mm. if you are actually a gay man you find out halfway through your life that you figure out that you actually are gay and you fall in love with another man you know in many ways, it would be the right thing to do to rather than staying in a loveless marriage is to leave and, you know, be with a person you love. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad choice. It's an unfortunate choice for everyone involved. It can have bad consequences. But he's made some choices that have really turned out poorly for him and then made more bad choices and how to deal with those poor consequences in the sense that he's obviously, you know, um, chosen to, you know, deal with it by overeating by the looks of it. Um, which I've absolutely never done in my entire fucking life. So, yeah, yeah, I sure as fuck didn't do that kind of shit during the pandemic. No. Um, so I can understand that, but um, I was on board with those as an interesting exploration of that. And, you know, but the last third of a film is the early start of this, where really there's a line between mm. it can go to be intense drama and it just crossed over, jumped the shark into pure melodrama. And that Do you is think cool. it's worthwhile putting the spoilers up so we can actually talk about the end? Uh, I think so, because I think I, yeah. I need to do that because that, that, yeah, um, spoilers I, I are have, up. yeah, I have thoughts. So you've been warned if you were going to see this film, come back later. Um, Done. The end, I mean, the, the last, the, I think also I should note, I don't think Fraser's performance is deserving of an Oscar, frankly. I think the first two no. thirds is, is, he is good. Mm-hmm. He is a good performance. And maybe mm. it's not his fault because maybe it was directorial mm. the direction to sort of go, no, I need you more over the top. There's this scene 
you can see it in the trailer where he goes, I just want to do one thing in my right life that I got right, you know? And it was just like, in the moment, I was just like, oh, are you aware you're overacting? <laughs> I, I liked that moment because of, you could see Brenda Fraser really, really going for it. And there are there are some sort of quiet moments because you never really throughout the whole movie you never really get too much of just a close opportunity to analyze Charlie. Most of the time it's from a distance or kind of him sort of like talking to someone over the shoulder, and he doesn't let the camera in close often. And every time he does, he is it's because he's having an attack or because he's just punishing himself by eating and the times where you do the camera does actually come in on brenda fraser just the emotion in his eyes the, i i have a great respect for that i just it was over the top and it almost it passed over from being a you know powerful performance which i think he was doing at the start into mm. almost parody you know what mm. it felt like to me it's like i thought of tropic thunder where you know there's the, the film <laughs> In Tropic Thunder, that the, the fictional film with Tobey Maguire and Robert Downey Jr., the monk film, the yeah. gay monk film, which is like if someone was making like a shorts, like a parody of what an Oscar-worthy film would look like. That's, that's what it of, looks like. That's what it would look like. That's the kind of scene I would expect to see. And so it it had gone full. You know, I you know I'm not going to use the R word that they use in Tropic Thunder, but they went full R word. Um, <laughs> and you know, and that was just too much for me and i'm like i i and like you sort of kept piling it on a director and piling on misery and misfortune and pain and then the scenes that he shot of yeah. brennan fraser eating were monstrous yes the way he shot that even just the, the bucket of chicken at the start the way he was the way he shot yeah. the, the yeah. grease all over his face the, ex the 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 intensity of the sound of him eating as well just just it, it was just so so expressive um it it did make it like every time it was just like oh i i don't feel comfortable watching this there have been is... accusations of fat phobia for this i'm not sure i quite agree with that but i can see how that could be and it could be implied by the way he shot those scenes in the sense where it was a scene where he becomes incredibly upset about what's going on. And he's mm. like shoveling two pieces of pizza into his face at the same time, covering jam or something. And yeah, it's like, like, it's almost like he's trying to destroy himself by eating. And you're like, yeah, I'm just like, Oh, this is really gross. And I think it was supposed to be, but yeah. I didn't like how it for me. That was, iffy for me about whether or not that was somebody who really understands the condition of somebody like that character yeah for for me it kind of particularly that sequence it almost felt like um someone trying to do aronofsky when he did requiem for a dream and mm. the, like when um uh ellen bernstein is kind of like tripping out and the the fridge is kind of going at her and things like that and all of those sequences where everyone's just going through their own personal hell he did that in such a visceral way and it worked it was raw it was violent it was impressive this just kind of felt like mm, it's just melodramatic and not not hitting how it's a, how he it, wants it felt for, i was with the people behind us it felt ridiculous mm. and horrible 
and mean. Mm. Um, to get to the, the film was like I was I was teetering on it. I'm like this has gone way too melodramatic for me. But let's see how they stick the landing. And whatever sticking the landing looked like, this film did the opposite. Yeah, um, I, I've heard some people talking about how this is supposed to have biblical themes. Mm-hmm. I sure as fuck didn't get any of that during the film until the final scene. So super hardcore spoilers here if you really mm-hmm. don't want to know. Uh, he's early in the film. His daughter uh, it yells at him to to walk out of the chair and walk towards mm-hmm. her, which he's unable to do. Mm-hmm. At the end of the film, in a very emotional scene, he he is able to get up out of a chair without mm-hmm. any assistance and start walking towards his daughter who's standing in the door. And for the first time ever, when she opens the door, it's no longer raining, but the sun is shining in. Yeah, and his son is in his face, and as he gets towards the door. Uh, uh, he looks up, there's a bright light, and all of a sudden we cut to a shot of his feet, and his feet, he's standing up on his tippy toes, and his feet rise off a, uh, yeah. I can. I actually have an artist's impression right here, uh, ready to go. Um, so if you'll bear me one tick, just to give you a, a flavour um, of, uh, of what I'm talking about. I do. I have to go now. My planet needs me. <laughs> there you go. That's that was the final scene of of, of a whale. Oh, no. Right there. I think it would have worked better if if Brendan Fraser had said, "My planet needs me." Um, so he literally is a bit like he's being sucked up to heaven. Of course, yeah. the insinuation throughout the film is he's on the verge of dying. So yes. dying in the final scene is is not huge shock but just like what the fuck was that supposed to be what did you make of it well that was one of the things that we were trying to work out and kind of came to the thought the last third of it is he actually dead and this is just all something that's happening in his like life flashing before his eyes moment when he's dead and he has just made this fantasy. He is always, we, we are told so often, that, and particularly in the scene where he's um, up against Samantha Morton and Mary, and she's like the ultimate pessimist, and he's the ultimate optimist. And he has complete and utter faith and hope that his daughter is a good and kind and wonderful person and all of this stuff. is like, well, no, she's just shown us that she's, she's a shit, and she's a a, a, t- a horrible rebellious teenager there's there's nothing insane about that but he is vehemently refusing to see that and he is being obtusely um self-deprecating to elevate everyone else around him essentially and it's like okay so this is his imagination just giving him what he wanted finally and it's all in his head but the only the only way that i think that would have properly landed is if it was been sort of like the him floating up the light and then the credits start rolling and then it just cuts to um liz coming back opening the door and seeing him dead alone the the apartment is suddenly much smaller again there's all the food and trash around him and he's just dead. That would have made it better, but still somewhat cliched. 
it's super cliche it's super yeah. cheesy yeah um someone i was michelling about this film with michelle and she mm. said, oh they've introduced magical realism towards the end i'm like yeah. i think that might be giving him a little bit too much credit here you know what it did remind me of though mm. actually much of a film reminded me of a wrestler which if you think about it is the film yeah. with mickey rourke who's lived an irresponsible life now trying mm -hmm. to reconnect with in this case an adult daughter in this case sadie's at least almost an adult and mm -hmm. you know basically failing to do so and at mm -hmm. the end of that film if you remember him he's in that wrestling match he gets up on the top rope he does the thing he's going to do his his, his um sitting chair elbow oh, yeah. drop, despite the fact he knows he's probably gonna it's a very good chance he's gonna die if he doesn't and mm -hmm. that film just kind of cuts as he's doing it and that worked really, really well in that film. Is he did it with dignity. The character yeah. had dignity at the end, and he was mm. going out in his own terms, and it was beautifully done. I, I don't. I, I felt straight away there was. This reminded me so much of his earlier mm. work. I'm like, you're plagiarizing yourself here, champ. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're not copying. You're copying your own homework, and you're not doing a good job of it. Um, it, it worked a lot better in that film than this one. It was really silly. Yeah. I, no, I said, I guarantee you, Fraser will win the Oscar. Everyone loves a comeback story. Mm -hmm. He's a beautiful man making himself look ugly, which is what the Academy loves. Mm -hmm. It's if you bottled what an Academy Award performance needs, this would have all of the elements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I And I don't think there's a whole lot of competition this year, personally. I think the second favourite is 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 um, Colin Farrell for Banshees of Inishirin, which I uh, was mediocre. I was lukewarm on that as well. <laughs> Uh, there's no standout alternative this year yeah. so fine brennan seems like a nice guy i don't forget yeah. him winning an award hopefully he does well but i don't think this is the stunning you know like uh, epoch making performance that everybody thinks it is for me i don't think this is a very good film yeah i i don't like it um there are some good performances in it like hong chow, hong as chow. Is, oh. she's great in it uh ty simpkins as thomas was interesting and he did he was actually given an opportunity to be more than just an annoying kid in a movie um and his story was interesting um sadie sink as ellie was fine but kind of it felt like a paint by numbers antagonistic rebellious teen um brendan fraser is solid samantha morton just seems to be just overacting and trying to do like an impression of um tony collette from sixth sense but just kind of going no nah, i'm gonna do this more real and smoking and it's like okay i you i don't think you fit in this movie hun sorry <laughs> And I generally um, like Samantha Morton. I think she's a great actress. I, I think you make a, a fine point that it's um, Hong Chao in particular. Uh, mm. She's been nominated for Best uh, Supporting Actress. Mm -hmm. She won't win. I'm sorry. No. Uh, she. I don't think she can win. She's in a very, very competitive category, but unlike Brennan, unfortunately. Uh, she's up against uh, Angela Bassett for Wakanda Forever. Uh, mm -hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis for everything, everywhere, all at once. So I don't think she's in the conversation, but I'm very glad she got nominated because I, for me, she was the realest character in this film. She felt grounded yeah. and real, uh, and she brought real pathos to, to her role, and she was well-rounded. 
And I believed in her more than I did Brendan Fraser. But there is a problem with it that I have, and that is why is she doing this? Yes, there's kind of sympathy for her brother's partner, but why is she torturing herself for that? Because through the story where it's insinuated that Alan, um, her brother, basically wasted away and refused to eat anything and died as a result of that. And now she is literally nursing Charlie, who is doing the polar opposite. And why why is she doing that to herself? Why does she feel that she needs to do that? It, that is, her character and why she is willing to nurse Charlie through all this is a far more interesting story than Charlie's. That's my, that's my it's, it's a fair point. Uh, there was an interest again, a bit like the film we just talked about. There are interesting stories in here. I don't mm. think Aronofsky found the most interesting part mm. of the film. Um, yeah. If this is supposed to have some sort of biblical allegory besides the ascent to heaven sort of insinuation mm. at the end, I didn't see it. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm bad at subtlety, though, you know, metaphor, that kind of thing. Not my strong point. Um, other than to say that this is, it's kind of felt like misery porn, frankly. That's what it reminded me of. I was just yeah. misery. I was like, the only reason I walked out of it feeling okay is because I, it got so ridiculous at the end. I completely checked out. I'm like, I don't care what you do to these people anymore. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All right, we have talked long enough on that. Um, on that one, let's get to our third and final movie of the night. You people. You people. Yeah, you picked you picked this Netflix, one. I did a Netflix rom com because trying to get ourselves more well, well rounded. And huh. I thought it was an interesting uh, one. It's easy to see. We both have Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is something that Michelle was very excited to see a few weeks ago. So mm. we sat down and watched this. It follows a new couple and their families that find themselves examining modern love and family dynamics amidst clashing cultures, societal expectations, and generational differences. Uh, mm. Starring quite the cast. Joan yep. Hill, Eddie Murphy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, David Duchovny uh, and Lauren London is probably the odd one out. Is I'm not overly familiar with her previous work, but she um, she she's one of the main mm. uh, stars of this film as well. Mm. But I think what got me over the line was the, the chance to see Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis Dreyfus <laughs> in the same film, which is quite a combination. Um, yeah. And directed by Kenya Barris and written and by Jonah Hill. Uh, he uh, wrote the TV series Blackish, which I'm seeing around, but I have not seen, if that makes sense. Um, mm. He also wrote Coming to America 2, which is very unfortunate. Actually, I think that film wasn't quite as bad as it could have been. So, you know, no, it's not as bad as it could have been, yeah, when it, especially when um, it came out at the same time as uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yeah, and you're like, it came out 20, 30 years later. You're like, really? Okay. But it wasn't awful, awful. So uh, I guess the central conceit of this is Jonah Hill is Jewish, very Jewish. uh, And he meets, uh, uh, he plays Ezra, who meets Amira, played by Lauren London, who is very African-American. When I say, you know, like these people are really cliche 
lead yeah. laden almost in the, in terms of what they're interested in. And mm. uh, they may have a meet cute in a car when he thinks she's his Uber driver mm. uh, and they end up going out on dates and they fall in love. Yeah. And here ensues the comedy because because he's Jewish and she's black and I think you can see this wackiness ensues. Um, the wackiness ensues when they're mainly from meeting each other's parents. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a comedy of manners in a lot of ways, in a sense. That, uh, it, it, it's almost reverse manners because historically the Jewish community and the black community have gone through some really bad fucking shit. <laughs> and yeah, and that's expensive. Yeah, almost this weird, yeah they, it, they, they use that as conv- almost that, this is incredible cringe comedy of, well, my people were more fucked up than yours. So you've got to respect mine more than yours because mine's worse and yours is worse. And it just makes you kind of go, oh, it's just uncomfortable. That element of this comedy uh, rom-com is done really well. I really appreciate that. The problem with that is I think one of these people, well, as I said, I think Journey Hill and Lauren London are really almost the bystanders. They mm-hmm. are almost playing the straight man, so mm. to speak, whereas yeah. the characters playing the parents are really where I think the comedy is supposed to come from in the yes. sense that, uh, you know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is this incredibly – ignorant and um and narrow-minded you know uh very well off white jewish woman living in hollywood or in los angeles at least and eddie murphy plays his character who plays akbar who is portrayed to be again a very sort of uh terse narrow-minded angry black man who is islam has adopted the nation of islam as you know uh as his religion and it's like very pretty much, you know, he doesn't, he has these um, very cliched, almost, well, I don't want to use the word bigoted, but, you know, um, you know, stereotypical ideas about what Jewish people are like mm. um, and has doesn't trust uh, Ezra's motives. Mm. Whereas Julie Louis-Dreyfus as Shelley comes from almost a different, she's almost trying to be super friendly, almost mm. overly friendly to Lauren London's Amira, but in doing so, she she does it from a place of ignorance um, uh, and racism. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's when you're talking cringe comedy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, man, she's, she's the fucking queen of cringe. Like, she is so good at it. Veep was all about that. Seinfeld to a lesser extent, but she, you know, she's, she fucking wrote the book on cringe comedy. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to cast someone to do that, you cannot get better. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, though, is one of the great comic actors of all time. One could mm-hmm. argue it's been a dry been hot, yeah. dry decade or two. But when you've got films like, you know, uh, 48 Hours and Beverly Hill Cop in your resume, no one gets to question your, your you know, your, your skills. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he doesn't play an Eddie Murphy character in this film. No, he is playing, as you sort of said, that cringe comedy where he's making you very uncomfortable. Uh, and that's where the laughs are supposed to come. Mm. I don't think that's a natural space for a comedian or an actor like Eddie Murphy. Um, oh. I was like, if you can get Eddie Murphy these days, 
like, can we see him do Eddie Murphy? Can we see him do what he's good at? I would really like to see him do what he's good at, you mm. know, but you're not, you're, you're having him do something that isn't really in his wheelhouse for me. And I don't think it works as a result. It was almost too straight. He, he played it so straight of every cutting barb that he threw and he was throwing so many throughout this whole movie. Every single thing that he was saying was just like grenade, 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 grenade. How are you going to dodge all of this, Jonah? Grenade, 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 grenade. And they're so good, but he is just so he's 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 very good at being cruel. Is I got a little bit of um, Steve Martin in the Spanish Prisoner, where he played so against type in that. There's a little bit of this, and it almost it actually kind of makes me want to see what Eddie Murphy would be like if he went out and just went, you know what? I'm gonna do my own variation of one hour photo. Do what that did for Robin Williams of mm. fucking creepy. Because I think he could do it really fucking well because we expect him to be um affable and funny and approachable and just someone with a big heart that's how he's so often presented in his movies and in this he's he's not a nice guy and he actively seeks to to just not ye fuck you i'm gonna break you apart ezra that's that's what he wants to do and he kind of does it too well to make it comedy uh, by the same token, while I give props to Julia Dewey Dreyfus for doing cringe comedy well, her character mm. here is so ignorant mm. to the point that she's deeply unpleasant in her own way. Yeah. Um, and not, and I think she goes, I think as being deeply unpleasant to the point where you can play that for laughs. Yeah. And then again, a little bit like I talked about how the whale crossed that red line into melodrama. She crossed over that line from comedy into just being unpleasant. Yeah. And not fun. Like, Kind of a shithead. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't laughing at her stuff as much as I could because mm. I just, the writing or the way it was directed, she just like, you've taken it a bit too far. Um, yeah. The best laughs in this film for me came mm. from David Duchovny. <laughs> David Duchovny's really <laughs> funny in this movie. Yeah. His, his obsession with... Uh, exhibit. Yeah, Exhibit. <laughs> he's every every time he has turned up in a comedy role he has surprised me he's doing what she should what julie lewis is right with shelly should be doing in the sense that he's completely clueless but and he's saying things that are kind of inappropriate and dumb but it it feels like it's coming from a place of good like he's good-hearted goofy stupid you know like uh cluelessness behind it which makes you sort of go okay why would you constantly be bringing up exhibit that's kind of dumb and like insulting but he's just doing it because he thinks this, you actually feel like he really does like exhibit and like yeah. maybe that's the only thing he feels like he has in common with these people uh, around him so he's it, it just works for somehow he's the way he plays a role is really really amusing whereas yeah. Julie, mm-hmm. Julie louis Dreyfus's character doesn't have that coming she doesn't come across as goofy or stupid. She just comes no. across as ignorant and, and mean and silly and dumb. Yeah. Um, I think you're finding here, I didn't like this film very much. Um, mm. What did you make of the conclusion? 
Um, I think uh, it, it, this is a story of three parts. And the first part is the, uh, the conceit, the idea of these two opposing cultures coming together. And let's, let's be honest, black culture and Jewish culture in a movie together, it's not exactly your common everyday story element. It's, it, it, it's, it's nice to see those two colliding. And there is a lot of comedy that is brought from it. And they do the, the opening, the start, the first kind of third of this movie does it well and it does do cringe comedy well but then especially when they go to the the stag do and the hen's night sequences it's like okay that's that's where they just pushed over the line for me and it's like okay this is just uncomfortable and not actually that funny and then the end became just so generic rom-com obvious. It was like, what, how do we end this? Let's just, okay, let's open the book. Yeah. And yeah, we will select uh, generic rom-com ending six, please. You know, yeah. Change the names, dates and places and film it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, I felt it completely contrived and undermined everything yeah. we'd learned about these characters prior to this point. And you're like, Maybe it would have been funny if they hadn't changed. And they like, you know, um, yeah. that that opened up some serious opportunity there, but they they didn't. Um, and interestingly, the the, the the whole thing looked a bit weird to me, frankly. And it, I don't know if you noticed this, but the end kissing scene never happened. They stopped before making any physical contact, and then was the kiss was CGI'd in post production. Huh. And I don't know why. <laughs> it's just because reasons. Like, I mean, I was, it, maybe they didn't get along, but they would not be their first co-stars to not get along. True. Um, but uh, I don't, it was really weird once I found, like the whole thing looked a bit fucking off. I mean, you're like, oh, that would be why. Yeah. And it, it was just, I didn't like this movie. Um, I, I think that the again, I think that in the trailer, especially the, the the first element of it, where it's Ezra sitting down opposite um, uh, Akbar uh, in the in the restaurant, and it's just that uncomfortable thing because that's relatable for so many people of meeting the parents. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult, and then you just suddenly throw in this culture clash. And it's like, okay, this is really good. And then the 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 whip snap barbs the Akbar is throwing out, and the the panic that Ezra goes through is like, okay, this is this is funny and cringy. I like it. They there's not enough here to sustain through the, through the whole movie, and it's a shame. It's like, okay, maybe this should have been like an anthology movie of just and it just called cultures collide <laughs> and it's just like here's here's an example here's a different example of what if i don't know someone from france or someone from germany decided to start dating and their parents it was set in the 1950s or something i don't know i think there was massive potential here for a comedy of errors a comedy of manners mm. misunderstandings mm. i just think they got the tone wrong yeah, uh, they, they, uh, they, the tone came across as mean. 
and yeah. unnecessarily difficult with each other. Whereas, mm. like I said, if the only person who seemed to understand the film that they were should they should have been in was David Duchovny. Whereas yeah. goof, goofy misunderstandings make of comedy. Whereas yes. like having an argument about who had it worse, blacks as slaves or Jews in the Holocaust, it takes a lot of skill to make that conversation funny. Now, Mel Brooks maybe could pull that shit off. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, the in the hands of the people who wrote this film, no. Mm. Yeah. I did not like it either. I do not think it is a good film. Mm. Uh, it wastes a lot of talent. It's got a yeah. 5.5 and a IMDb and a 50. Metascore that should tell you a lot. Yep. <laughs> now let's move on to the last part of our show: binge, browse, and burn. Burn, burn, uh, <laughs> burn, burn, burn. Um, what have you got for us? I have watched a couple of episodes of the new season of South Park. So I think this is season twenty-six. Uh, It's season 26. Uh, We have Cupid Yay uh, stands jealous of the friendship that has developed between Kyle and Tolkien. They've changed his name. It used to be Tolkien. Now it's Tolkien. Um, So Cartman decides to do something about it. Clyde and Scott pitch a movie idea to Kyle. And the worldwide privacy tour, the Prince of Canada and his wife try to find privacy and seclusion in a small mountain town. And that is a giant piss take on Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, um, who prance around setting off fireworks, yell, sh- shouting, we want privacy, we want privacy. Uh, <laughs> um, and apparently, I don't know how true this is, but it has been reported yeah. that they are looking, they're thinking of suing them over it. Good luck. I don't know how true that is. I don't know how true it is. They are being sued, however, by for two hundred million dollars by Paramount over some shenanigans over streaming deals. Um, interesting sub fact on this while I'm talking facts is mm. I Matt uh, Matt Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone made one hundred and sixty million dollars last year. They were fourth highest earning entertainers in the world on a list that I saw at least. They have a sweet um, deal on their streaming, uh, apparently. Yeah, Um, they do. Um, Because they've they've also got, um, I remember like late last year, no, mid mid last year, I think it was, um, announcements of the the South Park deal came through and they're going to do like six more feature films and like three new video games and things like that. They're they're fucking loaded. Um, but the whole view of a lawsuit is that like Paramount is supposed to get all the new seasons for a while. But then they started not Paramount, yeah, uh, no, HBO was supposed to get the new seasons. But then they decided to start making events for Paramount that streamed on Paramount services exclusively. And so now Warner Brothers and HBO are kind of a little bit pissed about that. Um, that's not why you, you don't come for the legal updates. It's fucking South Park. They still take no prisoners. Like, I, I respect that about them. When you mm-hmm. compare it to, say, The Simpsons, which has not been good for a really long time, these mm-hmm. guys don't fuck around. They don't, as I said, they don't take prisoners. They don't care who they piss off. They don't mm-hmm. care whose toes they step on. The first episode about Kanye is a whole little character of um, uh, it's a Valentine's Day episode instead of um, Cupid as Cupid Yay. And it's constantly making comments about, hey, the Nazis were all right. Hitler was right. You know, like, it's just fucking crazy that you can do that. The Simpsons, they step on toes. The Simpsons never would have. And mm-hmm. I 
you know, the fact that they are being threatened with being sued for pissing off, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Royals, uh, I think they would almost be high-fiving over that because yeah. I, I'm, I'm by no means a legal expert, but I don't see much of a case there. Um, and so it's, you know what, if you've liked South Park before now, you'll like South Park now. It's still in the binge category for me. Yeah. See, I th- I think that's um, that that ge- that warms my heart that there are people that have consistency like that. <laughs> I am going to go with another consistent thing of mediocrity from Netflix movies. <laughs> um, we have just had the release of We Have a Ghost, which um, stars David Harbour, um, Anthony Mackie, and the main star of it is. Jahi Diallo Winston plays Kevin Presley. Um, the Presley family move into um, an, an old house, finding that um, a ghost named Ernest is haunting it. Um, and it turns Kevin's family into overnight social media sensations. But when Kevin and Ernest investigate the mystery of Ernest's past, they become a target of the CIA. And the other big, um, well, the relatively big name that uh, comes up in here is Tig Notaro, who um, I think most recently uh, was kind of CGI'd into uh, Zack Snyder's um, Army of the Dead. The Army of the Dead, yeah, that's right. Um, and it's an interesting role that, uh, that they play there. This is very much a browse, and it is absolutely the quintessential version of a Netflix movie that is designed to just go, oh, yeah, David Harbour, people like him in that Netflix show, which is infinitely better, and it shows off much more of his acting talent. Uh, Oh, Anthony Mackie, that's a name that people associate with Marvel, but which one is he? Um, Oh, that's right, the one I don't really care much about. Um, and so like ghosts. Oh, okay. Ghosts are, you know, fun. We can do that easily. It's fine. It's It does nothing wrong. Um, but it also do, doesn't really do anything right. Um, it is based off of a short um, online video, I think. We have a i'm just gonna bring it up uh it's directed by christopher langdon for anyone who's interested in that also star uh has a uh, jennifer coolidge in it in a nice little cameo and she is deliciously she's uh, popping up she's chewing the scenery it's wonderful um yeah it's based on something where the fuck is that uh Interesting uh, trivia right there. Jennifer Coolidge wanted David Harbour to choke her harder during their scene. Of course Um, she did. uh, Oh, yeah, here we go. In uh, November 2017, Legendary Pictures won an auction for screen rights to Ernest, a short film by uh, a short story by Jeff Munnock, published on Vice. Christopher Langdon, Happy Death Day director, uh, he adapted it into uh, and turned it into the feature film here. So yeah, it was a short story, and it's it's not a bad concept, but it, and it opens up to an interesting potential of what they could do with if they wanted to do more. It looks lame. It looks really lame. But yeah, it's it's, it's lame. It's it it is a quintessential director video kind of movie. 
the cgi does its job but it's not great the acting is very close to melodramatic um the story itself is like all right yep well saw that twist coming but it's free if you've got netflix so why not and it's not overtly disgusting in any way shape or form it's not got particularly bad language in it or sex references or drugs references particularly um so this is one that is family friendly it's one to it's a, quantity, it's a compromise film when you can't decide what to watch with your partner you watch your shit absolutely um it is something that you go all right we can't we can't decide let's put this on and ignore it <laughs> <laughs> film to scroll your phone by yes uh, i have a very unusual binge suggestion here and i would not this is a surprise the hell out of me this is a netflix okay. show mm. and this is physical 100 you might have seen this pop up on your netflix yes this this is popping up this i thought this looked like shit this is kind of a combination between squid game American Ninja Warrior, the Ninja Warrior series is an Australian one, is an American one. Okay. And elements of things like Big Brother. Um, okay. So this is reality, which is not what I my normal, um, no. my, my, the normal meat of my TV diet. Yeah. But it's kind of good. Um, 100 contestants in top physical shape compete in a series of grueling challenges to claim the honor and cash reward as the last one standing. So, the aesthetic of a show is very Squid Game-esque. The, mm-hmm. the people facilitating the activities all, you know, they don't quite have a Squid Game outfits, but they they look, you know, akin to something like that. And we have a large group of um, different variety of athletes from different backgrounds and different countries. This is a Korean show, by the way. And as it says, they compete... Surprised. They compete in a series of trials and games and activities to see who has the greatest body in the world uh, and become basically the ultimate athlete, so to speak. And um, some of these are sort of schoolyardy kind of games, again, a little bit like Squid Game, where they're like, like who holds the ball at the end of two minutes and their wrestling contests. Uh, there are ones where they have to hang from the ceiling, uh, moving a really heavy boat across the sand. Uh, moving bags of sand across a bridge. Um, and it's really, really actually quite compelling. And one of the reasons I wanted to mention it is it's okay. fun. It's okay. entertaining. And you, I fucking guarantee uh, this is getting remade everywhere else in the world. There'll be an Australian version with a fucking horrible Australian version with a blokey Aussie, some, probably a TV guy, fucking TV com- uh, football commentator, doing it and they're like there'll be an america one which will fuck it up horribly and the people on it will be horrible because it's interesting is the people on this are actually really cool to each other um <laughs> and like there's actually a character and what's interesting is there are there's some of them are very young some are older there's a guy in it who's like apparently a very famous mma fighter in korea um who's in his late 40s and he has the best nickname i can't remember his actual name but everybody just calls him Sexy Yama. That's his fucking his, his nickname. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, so Miracle so, Nelson. Miracle Nelson is a dancer, I think. Okay. Um, as a American or Canadian baseball player, most of them are, are actual Korean athletes. Okay. Like 
uh, wrestlers, uh, MMA fighters, uh, mountain climbers, cyclists, that kind of thing. And so they're not all huge, muscly guys. Some of them are freaking beasts. Like others are more nimble and they don't quite get the mix right in terms of the activities. Most of the activities sort of look at us and go, oh, well, it would really be helpful to be have significant strength as opposed to speed and, and mm. aerobic fitness in this one. But um, because everybody actually, because they're Korean and they're terribly respectful of each other, um, mm. it's actually really kind of cool and fun seeing them. They want to compete and they actually, like they don't like, hey, I ain't here to make friends kind of, you know, survivor-esque, you know, attitude mm. you see on a lot of Western reality shows, which is kind of nasty. Um, I kind of like the really cool supportive vibe that most of the people give each other on here. And the elimination process is beautiful. At the start of a show, they all have a plaster cast of their physique made. Okay. Um, and when they get eliminated, they have to smash the, the, the mold of their physique. <laughs> and the, the final winner gets to smash his opponent's um, cast of his physique. And it's just such an interesting and original way of doing it. And they're like, and the, the, the English voice of it is beautiful. It's like, oh, well, I, I decided I wanted to protect my physique with everything I could. I did not want to see my physique get smashed. Um, and it's, 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 it almost, it almost adds a comedic element to it. Obviously, like, you know, because you can't, unless you speak Korean, you've got no idea what's going on. Um, I enjoyed this far more than I should have. Um, and I encourage people to have a look at it. If you like Ninja Warrior, you know, that kind of thing, you just look for something fun to watch. This is kind of fun. Uh, okay. The contests are fun, and it's going to be remade. It's mm -hmm. going to be ruined. Mm -hmm. But at least you can say, well, oh, this will be original. <laughs> always always watch the Korean original. It's never going to be bettered. <laughs> Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of the show, and we are just over the hour and a half. We needed to make up for, for last week where we overindulged. But this week, we uh, we went into maudlin territory with Never Let Me Go, as well as The Whale. We've got our chain movie, which is love, actually, so still very much in that uh, torturous, you know, cinema kind of thing. Not really. It's It's fine. Um, we talked about another version of torture, you people. <laughs> and then we had our binge, browse, and burn. I feel like we haven't had a burn in a little while. So I like to keep it that way. Yeah, that, that's, I, that would be ideal, yes. Um, but, yeah, we talked about just then, we were talking about the physical 100. I talked about we have a ghost. And we talked about South Park, something we haven't talked about in quite a while. Um, next week... We don't have anything specifically on our dance card for watching at the cinema or anything like that, but we will be bringing you love actually, as well as two shared viewings experiences and a new episode of Binge Browse Burn. What more can you ask for, ladies and gentlemen? And yes, it's I know free. It's ending. free, ladies and gentlemen. We give out the goodness of our heart. Yes, we do these things so you don't have to. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, have a good evening. Good night. Good night.